0: We want you to know that we see you, we love you, and we stand with you. The entire world witnessed the murder of George Floyd by a police officer. And without question, it's impacted so many hearts. Even recently, I was speaking with Pastor Harold, and he said this statement, and I just even want to quote him. He said this, it said the police officer decided at that moment to be the judge, the jury, and the executioner at that very moment. And so many times we hear, it's like we don't know the history of George Floyd, but we should all know that no matter what he did in the past, no one deserves to get killed in that way or no one deserves to get killed at all. We know that we serve a God that hates injustice and he loves justice. In Psalm 89, 14, it says this, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Think about that. The foundation of his throne is righteousness and justice. And then it says, love and faithfulness go before you in Psalm 89, 14. And then in Micah 6, 8, it says this, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? So many times we wonder, what is it that God wants us to do? He makes it very clear here. To act justly, And right there in that time period specifically, there was so much injustice in Israel, there was a problem there. So there was the emphasis to act justly, to love mercy, which means to have loyal love towards, and to walk humbly with your God. And something I want to highlight too, outwardly we're supposed to do justice. Inwardly, it's to love mercy and to show that love coming from within our own hearts. And then as we walk upwardly towards God, we walk humbly before Him. We walk humbly before God. Something that we need to realize too, that this is something deeper than even what we see. It's a sin problem. And the only solution to sin is Jesus. Jesus is the only person that could transform our hearts from the inside out. More than ever before, we need to run after God, surrender our hearts, invite the Holy Spirit to transform us and make us more like him. And let us never forget who the real enemy is. In the Bible makes it clear who the real enemy is. It's not the police officers. It's not the businesses. It's not the whites. It's not the Hispanics, the Latinos, other blacks. Not at all. The real enemy that we have is the devil. And in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 13, I want to highlight this. Because as believers, as Christians, we need to know who the real enemy is. Instead of us deciding who the enemies are, we need to know what the Bible says. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 13, it says this. It says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle our struggles, not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. So here as a church, we want you to know that we're looking at home first. We're looking here at Christ Fellowship. What are we able to do to enhance our effectiveness, to be instruments of peace, instruments of healing, having the ministry of reconciliation in our community to God and to one another? That is our mission in our church. Our church is dedicated and committed, uh, committed to bring healing. Let it start within our own hearts Let it start within our own church. Let it start within the streets of Elizabeth. Let it spill over throughout the county. Let it go throughout the state. Let it go throughout the entire country and let it go throughout the entire world. But you, even watching right now, you have to be willing to let it start within you. One of the things I want everyone to know, especially the CF family, is that we've been listening. We've been listening. I want to let you know, obviously, I have never walked in your shoes before. So I need to listen. I need to listen to the pain. I want to see what you're highlighting as the injustices. And you you need to realize that we're standing side by side with you until we see the end of racism and until we're able to see justice prevail. Now, as I, as I mentioned, we've been listening. I want to even highlight certain posts that sp- specific people within our church put on social media. We're not mentioning who p- put them on social media, but I want you to want to highlight them because they're powerful posts. The first one is this. There's, the picture is going to be there. It says, not all blacks are criminals. Not all whites are racist. Not all cops are bad. Ignorance comes in all colors. Ignorance comes in all colors. The next picture I want to highlight is this. this. It says privilege is when you think something is not your problem because you aren't affected personally. We need to chew on these statements. Chew on these statements. The next picture of someone within our church family that posted, they put, it's not blacks versus whites. It's blacks versus racism. Don't confuse the two. We can't confuse the two. Another um, image that I want to highlight is this, this. You cannot hate people and love God at the same time. You can't hate people and love God at the same time. We need to keep that close to our hearts. The next one too, I want to highlight that someone posted. They put this, I back the blue and stand against racism. In case you're wondering, you could do both. You could support the police and at the same time be against racism because I know personally so many police officers that are against racism. So we, you could do both and take that stand for both. The next one, I have to say, this one is also super, super adorable. You'll see right now when I highlight it. It says, no one is born racist. It's taught. Quit teaching it. Quit teaching it. And for those of you that are parents, you have to be careful what you say, what you do, even your nonverbals when it comes to this topic, because your children are sponges and they're learning from everything that you're doing. The next um, image, and we just have two more to highlight, it says this, while you're sanitizing and wiping everything down, be sure to wipe hatred out of your heart. That's a virus too, 100. And for sure, it's a virus too. And lastly, another adorable picture, but with such a powerful message, it says this, we said black lives matter never said only black lives matter. We know all lives matter. We just need your help with black lives matter for black lives are in danger. So there you see certain key statements from people within our church that posted on social media. We're listening. As your senior pastor and as elders also within the church, we're listening to what you're saying. The leadership of the church, your pastors hear what you're saying. And I want you to know too, and I want you to hear the voices of specific people. Now, of course, I could easily have so many people recorded and share messages, but I want you to hear specifically from three people within our church that we love dearly, that that they've been part of our church family for such a long time but there's stories probably you never heard before, and we want you to hear it so you could be touched by them. Obviously, you could tell already that this isn't your ordinary Sunday church service, the way it's structured. So we ask you to sit back, relax, open your heart, not only to the message, but more importantly, to the Holy Spirit as he speaks to you. You're gonna hear from June Powell, Pastor Harold and Caleb Boyd, and Lynn Munn. They're gonna be back to back, hear their story.
1: Hi, I'm June Powell. I was born in New York. I was raised in the projects in Harlem. After years, I went to Taft High School in the Bronx, graduated. Most of the time I, in class, I was token black. All right, most of the kids in my class were white. When I, grad, when I graduated high school, I went to college in North Carolina. Oh my God, what a, what a transition. Whoo, I was in for a rude awakening. I didn't realize segregation wasn't as bad as it was. I knew it existed from the years that I had gone down with my mother and father. I remember one time when my mom got on the bus she sat in the front, and I attempted to sit next to her. The bus driver put the gear into park, and I had to get up, and I was running my mouth. I had to get up and go to the back of the bus. If not, I had to get off. So I got, I got in the back of the bus. And then when my mom told me, she said, you never should have did that. But then me and her were, were, were talking, and I said, Mom, I said, it isn't right. Up in the city, we, we didn't experience this. People in the South at that time, in the early 60s, would take your money. And you couldn't sit in the, in the diners or go into the restaurants. When I would order something, they would always tell me, you can't stay here because you're black. Well, they didn't use the word black, they used the N word. And I, I would always have to leave. And then of course, you know, if you know me, I started mouthing off as I walked out the door. i never forget this, this was a heartbreaker. One time I went to Sears, Sears Roebuck as a matter of fact, and there were two white ladies standing in front of me i was number three and there were two white ladies standing in the back of me the young girl waited on the two white ladies and when she got to me she told me i had to step out of line because you have to wait until everybody else leave so the lady behind me says no you wait on her or else i'm leaving and the other lady agreed with her so she waited on me and i left and that really bothered me i was a young girl and just things changed when when I went to college, it, 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 was, I was not, it, it was not good for me. So this particular day, I went into Woolworths with my mom. She went first, and then I went. She sat down, and I couldn't. So I had to leave, and of course, I was fussing when I walked out the door. So she finally got up. When it was no more segregation in the South, I made sure me and my mom went to the same Woolworth in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and we sat at the same counter, and I made sure that I said to a white woman, I sat in the middle, as my mother sat on the side, and I let this woman know that this was my mother, and I wanted hot dogs. I don't even eat hot dogs today, but that's how it goes. That's how it went. And all that stuff to this day has affected me. Especially last week when my sister called me on the phone and told me, "Sis, turn on the TV." I said, "Well, what's going on?" She said, "Just turn on the TV." And what I saw, I could not believe it. I got chills. I mean, I actually started to cry. I was, I was just, I was just furious because I thought that part of my life was over. And I said, "You know, this is never going to stop. It'll always be police brutality, no matter how hard we try." to stop it, it it, it will always be. And growing up black in America is not easy. It will never be easy. As far as I'm concerned, it'll never stop. The only way it'll stop is when Jesus comes again. That's it, that's all I can say.
2: Hey, I'm Pastor Harold, and I'm here to talk about uh, as a father, how does it feel in today's society with things going on the way it is? How does it feel to be a father of children and worried and concerned, and what are my concerns? Let me start by saying this, I did not want children, and it wasn't because of being selfish, but when me and my wife were dating, I didn't want children because the first thing that came to my mind was why would I want to bring children into a country or bring them into a society where the challenges they were going to be challenged and they were going to have obstacles simply by their their color and hey I'm Pastor Harold and I'm here to talk about uh, as a father how does it feel in today's society with things going on the way it is how does it feel to be a father of children and worried and concerned. What are my concerns? Let me start by saying this. I did not want children, and it wasn't because of being selfish, but when me and my wife were dating, I didn't want children because the first thing that came to my mind was why would I wanna bring children into a country or bring them into a society where the challenges they were gonna be challenged and they were gonna have obstacles simply by their, their color. And that concerned me to the point where I didn't wanna to have to watch my kids go through anything. So I didn't want kids, that's the funny thing. And I had three. Um, I myself have had challenges being a young uh, black male in America looking for equal opportunity, trying to be the best that I can be, having to be more than ordinary just to be accepted. When it comes to my children I don't wanna, I wanna be able to worry about the things that people normally worry about. I wanna be concerned about the people you are around, the areas you go, the places you go. But it's just as heartbreaking when you get a call and there are police involved and now you're worried that, are the police going to harm your child? Are they gonna become the judge and jury and are they gonna sentence you right there in that moment on the ground, whether you're armed or unarmed? Are you gonna be abused? Are you gonna be murdered? whether you cooperate or not. Um, These are the things that go through my mind, and it's not only that my kids go through that, it's because I've gone through certain things, and I'm, even today, it's a sad thing when you feel the ones that are supposed to protect you, you feel that there's a possibility that you you are afraid to survive a moment in which you're stopped. So my prayer is, I'm praying for my children all the time. I'm praying for myself all the time. And my prayer is that we're able to be accepted as humans, accepted as people that are talented. I want to be judged for the content of my character and not just for the color of my skin. The concern is that today, a lot, we've we've come through a lot, but we've got a long way to go. The things that have not been said and the silence is just as hurtful as the acts themselves. And I pray that we all stand up and say something, all of us, not just black folk, but everyone, all God's children will say something.
3: Hey, um, I'm Kayla Boyd. Being a youth and um, of black descent now, it's tricky um, for the fact that, you know, with everything going on with the protests and people, you know, standing up, um, I'm super glad that, you know, people are actually taking a stand now and pushing for change. And I pray that change will come from it. I'm just, my heart feels heavy for the fact that it took so long, you know, for, people to start fighting for the change. Of course, we've been pushing for this forever. You know, even um, during my dad's time way before that too, there was always people fighting for civil rights and for blacks to be seen as, you know, everybody else and for us all to be equal. I'm glad that people are seeing that this is wrong, you know, and that, that change needs to come. And I just, I pray and I hope that it does come and it, it feels like we're going in the right direction, you know. Um, we have everybody uniting finally, you know, it's not only um, black people fighting for black rights, it's everybody fighting for equality, you know, and I'm glad that it came now, you know, instead of having to wait even longer. It's scary um, growing up, you know, in this world right now, especially um, being of black descent. Um, my father always tells me, you know, uh be careful where you go what happens um lay low be normal be human you know because we're all human of course but some people don't see it as that some people see it as your color you know they don't see your character they don't see who you really are they see your color sadly that's the reality of things and growing up it was definitely hard because of the fact that they only saw that so i'm glad that now things are changing change is coming you know i just pray that you know it solidifies now and that change is you know certain
4: i'm lynn and um i've been with christ fellowship for about 20 years now i am here to share my experiences as well as um, talk a little bit about the events that have been taking place recently that are really dear to my heart. First, I just want you to know that um, I grew up in Brooklyn and um, when I was about eight years old, I watched my uncle get beaten by um, a group of police officers. Back then, it was around in the 70s, um, my uncle had a little bit of a, a speech impairment and um, couldn't hear very well. And they would literally come to your home, drag you out, and just beat you in front of everyone. And then threaten, if you want some of this too, then hey, get ready. So I watched that, I witnessed that as a child. And then, you know, fast forwarding to um, just my mom always saying to be a good person, You know, going to church as a child and, um, you know, trying to do what, you know, we were taught um, as Christians to do. And um, so I stayed out of trouble for the most part. But I did see my brother go through stuff with just profiling and other issues. And then when I got married and I was pregnant, another incident that really hit me and that was in 1990 um, was the day that I was trying to I was going to give birth to my daughter Um, my husband came up to the hospital without ID because he forgot he just was in a rush He came there and um, I was upstairs already getting ready to give birth And the hospital decided that um, he needed ID and they weren't going to let him up. Well, of course, he got upset. And they called the police on him. And the police came. And seven officers took him to the truck and just beat him. So I did not see my husband. For a few days, they threw him behind Bars and said he was disorderly, and I had to have my child alone. Um, that was uh, not a good experience. Um, eventually, uh, we did press charges against the police department. They dropped the charges against him, but we know where that goes—nowhere the police Um, and then even more recently as of October of last year um, my son was stabbed and the first thing that I noticed that people always say is where was he where did this happen well he shouldn't have been there he shouldn't have been hanging out with those people, and I don't understand half the time because you can't you can't sit back and say, "I'm only going to choose people from this neighborhood as a friend." and so he went to visit a friend, and the incident happened as he was getting out of his car because they were going to dance, and it just so happened that somebody a bunch of kids jumped him. Um, Wrong place, wrong time. But the point is is that once we spoke to a police officer, my son was devastated because they accused him of being part of a gang just because he was in a neighborhood where there were gangs and he was a black young man and they never pursued anything from that. And um, to this day, He asked, why do they do that? Um, It's terrible when you have to raise a son um, and try to explain to them, don't wear a hoodie when you drive. Don't wear a do-rag when you drive. Don't do this when you drive. Don't go out there when you go out. Because you know that with the way things are today, um, systemic racism is real. And we know that. We experience it as black people, as people of color. We experience this every day of our lives, from just the workforce to just going to the store, the grocery store, to going to a shopping mall where people will watch you because you go into a store and they think you're going to rob the place because according to most people, black people are criminals. This is what society puts out there this is what the media shows and um, one thing I can say is that it portrays or it it allows other people to think that we're all the same so just like someone when someone says all cops are not evil which they are not all cops are not bad you have bad in everything All black people are not bad. All black people are not criminals. All black people are not gang members. Um, But it's hard to convince people of that, uh, especially when, you know, they're not experiencing it. But one thing I can say is, I spoke to someone not too long ago, and I remember a couple years, a few years ago, they said to me, well, you know, why don't black people just change what they do? Or why don't they just stop? social media or the media from exposing them in that way and why can't black people do something about this and all I can say to that is that's like asking the the, the victim of a rape to stop the rapist um, that's like asking you know a person in, domestic, in a domestic violence um, situation to stop the domestic violence um, the issue that I have is A lot of times you can get the help with coming up with legislation or things like that to help to stop those things. And those people do get it um, in some instances and in a lot of instances because people believe their story. But when you have black people who go through these incidents and no one believes your story, it's hard to get people to do something about it. The incident that just took place with George Floyd, it just hurt. It's devastating. Um, It brings back all of those memories and the things that people go through or black people go through today from many, 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 many years ago. It hurts. You can't tell black people how they should feel. You can't if you haven't gone through it. Only black people know what they go through. I pray that God uh, turns all of this for good and that at some point we find a way to accept black people, not try to change them, not tell them to forget what happened in the past. Oh, slavery's over you should get over it. We can't, you don't ask Jewish people to get over the Holocaust. You don't ask people of those, those people who go through traumatic situations throughout their life to forget about it. You come alongside of them, you hold their hand and you walk through it with them. It's called inclusion. You know, in a church, I feel like you can have a lot of diversity, but if there's no inclusion, People in certain communities get lost. Diversity and inclusion are used together all the time, but diversity is one thing and inclusion is another. And it's like, diversity means when, you know, you can come over to my house, I can come to my party, you can do all these things, you can be in the same room with me, you can do all these things with me, but when you don't have inclusion, it means that but you can't dance with me, or you can't eat with me, or you can't, you know, you can't um, uh, share this with me. it's, it's, It's different, so you have to have diversity and inclusion. When that starts to happen, I think things will change. I'm praying that things will change with everything that's gone on. I feel like things will start to change because people actually saw that gruesome murder. You know, that wasn't just excessive force. That was violence. That was a murder. And it shouldn't matter if you have a badge or not. You need to get paid for what you do. You need to get convicted for that murder. And it was in front of everyone's eyes. So if, if someone did not feel something behind watching that video, I just pray for you.
0: I just wanna thank Lynn. I wanna thank Pastor Harold and Caleb and also June Powell for having the courage to share their stories. How I mentioned in the beginning we're listening and we're standing side by side with you. There's a Bible story that we've heard many times but we've probably never saw it through the eyes of racism. And it's the story of the good Samaritan. And something I want to get across is for here is that the Jews and the Samaritans, they hated each other, hated each other. Let's just put it this way. The Jews loved and cared for the tax collectors more than the Samaritans. And we all know that the Jews hated the tax collectors, Jesus in the story of the Good Samaritan highlights two major things. Number one, that loving your neighbor is to transcend all racial and cultural boundaries. Number two is Jesus is challenging the Jews' negative biases towards the Samaritans by casting a Samaritan as the compassionate hero. The least likely person became the compassionate hero in that scenario. So we're gonna dive into the scriptures right now. In Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25, you could look it up too, it says this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus and he said, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, and with all of your minds, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Almost like he wanted to have proof. He wanted to justify himself that he might be good because in his eyes, the ways that he looked as a neighbor is fellow Jews. Those that are the same as him, not anyone else. So he asked Jesus this. And then Jesus in reply said this. He said a story to bring pretty much a major point and principle across. He was drawing him into a conversation. Jesus could have easily just gone straight to the point and really addressed them, but that's not how Jesus approached it. And I just even wanna say, I wonder how we approach these circumstances. Do we really sit down wanting to have a conversation to understand and really come up with solutions? Or do we just want to just drop a bomb, just hit people with a post and not really listen to the story behind it? So many times it's so much easier for us to be behind a computer and type in something and send it out than really sit down and listen to the pain and the hurts that people are experiencing. Let's be more like Jesus because the other approach is racially offensive. Even if you might not consider yourself a racist, that approach is offensive. A man was walking down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, went away, leaving him half dead. Now I do wanna highlight here that pretty much here, G- Jesus just says a man left the blank, didn't say the name of the person. And I really believe he left the blank because through the generations, there's so many people we could put into that filling in that blank. And for today's message, the filling in the blank is George Floyd. And as we continue, I I just wanna even read that part from the beginning. Knowing George Floyd as the man, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And it's interesting too, Jesus doesn't, doesn't acknowledge anything of the man's past at all. It doesn't matter what his past was. What happened was wrong. And here, while he's saying this story, something I want to highlight. The journey from Jerusalem to Jericho was a very steep and dangerous one where robbers were able to hide. So this was very believable back then. When you heard of him getting beat up, this was very believable. It wasn't like people say, oh, that doesn't happen in that area. No, without question, they know this happened. It happened so often that that road from Jerusalem to Jericho was known as the way of blood. The way of blood. So we know this man was beat up. And I just want to tell you, the way of blood is racism, That's the road as well, the way of blood. Whether you use a knee, whether you use a weapon, whether you use your words, whether it's your silence, you're walking on the path of the road of blood. Here in um, verse 31, it says this, a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on, uh, on the other side. And I just want to take a pause here. Here you have a priest and a Levite going across the road, not to address the issue, to stay silent. The church walked by. The church walked by. They pretended nothing happened. They didn't want to deal with it. They didn't want to address it. They didn't want to be an instrument of healing and peace. They walked by. I even wrote down, the leaders walked by, they didn't help, didn't acknowledge, didn't listen, didn't help to bring peace and healing. They pretended they didn't see anything, wanting for everything to just go away, to just go away. They crossed over, they were more interested in their own personal agendas and their views than the wounds of those that surrounded them. They didn't seek justice. They didn't love mercy. They didn't walk humbly with the Lord, but yet they were leaders of the church representing, you could say, the church. They were also caught up with religion. They didn't want to come near the man because he might've been dead. That would have kept them from serving inside the temple. So I want to let you know too is this. Some of us in the name of Jesus are neglecting to help those in need. In the name of Jesus, within our own religious walk, you could say, we're uh, we're neglecting and staying silent and helping those that are in need. Some of us in the name of Jesus are more concerned about getting across our own personal opinions than walking to the other side and being with the person and listening to the pain and bring healing to the pain. See, Christ's fellowship, is committing, and we've always committed, but here for everyone to hear it, that we would never walk across to the other side of the road. We would never walk across the other side of the road and pretend we're not seeing what's happening. We're not going to ignore the pain. We're not going to ignore the injustices. We're going to do everything we can to be an instrument of healing and peace and restoration, how I mentioned before. We're not going to walk the opposite side. We're going to walk towards them. Now in verse 33, it says this, but a Samaritan, okay, a Samaritan as he traveled came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him and he went to him. I just want to pause there. He went, the Samaritan went to him. He moved towards the pain. He moved towards the hurt. He wanted to listen to what's happening. How I mentioned, he didn't go to the other side. You have to move towards people in order to love them, in order to build genuine relationships. It doesn't just happen and it's, it isn't convenient. But here the Samaritan is moving towards someone who despised him. The Samaritan walked towards someone that despised them and wanting to help, which is a lesson for all of us. As we continue, not only did he walk towards them, he bandaged his wounds. And I want to highlight too, also there, he bandaged his wounds. He took, listened and saw and assessed the pain and he addressed his wounds. Some of us We need to stop trying to fix things and heal things that aren't broken or need healing. But from our perspective, that's what they need, you could say. So we want to get across our opinions and our healing for those moments. We need to really bandage their wounds, their specific wounds of where the pain is and where the hurt is. We have to do our part. He bandaged his wounds and it said this, pouring on oil and, and wine. And that's just for us to know, they would often carry that as a traveling kit when it comes as a medicine kit. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn to take care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you, you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Jesus asked. And I, I, I just want to emphasize how I said before, I love Jesus's approach. Jesus' approach, he said a story, brought home the point, came from a different angle and just posed the question who do you think and sure enough the expert in the law replied the one who had mercy on him now check this out he said the one that had mercy on him he couldn't even say the words samaritan he couldn't say it the one that had mercy on him because he saw the samaritans as below human not being human at all treated the Samaritans like garbage. And that's why he couldn't even verbalize it. And looking at Jesus, he said, the one that had mercy on him. And then Jesus simply just said, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. So here, that is the example that we have, that Jesus clearly shows. I wanna give you five major points that I don't want you to forget is this, the good Samaritan went to him. That's the first point, don't forget about that. He went to him. So right now, if you as believers, you wanna be part of the healing process, we need you to go towards the pain. We need you to go towards those that are hurting, to listen to them, to be them, be there side by side, them, just like how Lynn said in her, when she was sharing her experiences, to help them get lifted up to their feet, to be a true brother and sister in Christ, not to be worried about other things or trying to get across our point of view. Let's love one another. Always no matter what our political party is, no matter what skin color we might have, no matter what we like or what we dislike or where we're from or, where, or whatever, whatever. It doesn't matter. We're called to love everyone always, always. It doesn't matter your sexual identity. It doesn't matter. We're called to love everyone always. Anything less than that is disobedience. I want you to think about that. As a Christian, if you're watching this, Anything less than loving everyone always is disobedience. And just think about your approach, all of us here, whatever we're doing, are we helping the cause? Because let me tell you, silence, silence you're taking aside, okay? It's not enough for you to say that you're not racist. You have to be anti-racist. Because the moment you say you're not racist, you put yourself out of the picture, say, well, I don't have nothing to do with it. It doesn't affect me, you know, or whatever it is. But you have to oppose racism. I'm anti-racist. And I pray that you would take that position as well, that we would oppose racism, not to be silent, not to be on the sidelines, and just have our own personal relationship with God. And we... Really, we deceive ourselves thinking that we're honoring God because if we can't love our brothers and sisters, we're not obeying God. So we need to be follow God in obedience, obedience. And let me tell you something, obedience starts today. Starts today. Delayed obedience is disobedience. If you're just waiting for the right time, if you're just waiting for the future, delayed obedience is disobedience. So today you start. Some of us within our own home. Right now, you start within your own home. You start at your workplace. You start with strangers. Think about that. The good Samaritan showed that love to a stranger. A stranger. It wasn't a family member. It wasn't a distant cousin. It wasn't anything like that. It was a complete stranger. He poured out his love for them. So how are we showing our love to one another? See, the first point, the good Samaritan went to him, didn't ignore it, didn't look the other way. He crossed the street. He went to them. The second point is this, the good Samaritan rejected racism. Rejected He rejected it. He knew that the, the Jew that was there, even though it doesn't specify it was a Jew, it's pretty much known it was a Jew, he knew that that person hated him. So he could have easily walked away. He said, no, I'm not going to help you. You you got what you deserved and walked the other way. No, no, he rejected racism and did what he had to do for God's kingdom. So are you rejecting racism yourself? The third thing is this, the good Samaritan bandaged his wounds, his wounds. And how I mentioned before, you need to spend time to hear the pain. You have to see the injustices. You know, like you have to be specific to know where the person is hurting. We can't assume. And you can't pretend you know if you haven't walked that journey. I'll be the first to know, I don't know what it's like. I've never walked in their shoes. So for me, one of the greatest things I could do is to sit down and listen. Sit down and listen. Listen to the pain. Listen what uh, to their stories. And of course, to pray for them, to be there for them, to be an instrument used by God to bring healing. Are you doing the same thing? The fourth thing is this. The Good Samaritan went above and beyond to bring healing. Some of us are not willing to do something for someone else as long as, only if it's convenient, only if it's comfortable. Here the Good Samaritan went above and beyond. Let me just even, even highlight here. It's, it's, he, he poured oil and wine. Obviously, it's his own oil and wine he's using. He put the man on his own donkey, brought him into an inn, took care of him. The next day, he took out money, gave it to the innkeeper and said, look after him. And then he also said, now reimburse you for anything else, any expenses that will come after this. He went above and beyond. Some of us do the bare minimum and we, we think we're good. We've settled. Let me tell you something. God expects you to go above and beyond. Think think of the example God gave us. Jesus went above and beyond to show his love for us, to die on the cross. Why do we feel like we don't have to do the same to our brothers and sisters? We have to go above and beyond. We have to go to the point where it hurts us, where it makes us feel uncomfortable and we're helping other people. Not the change that we might have, but truly something that requires sacrifice from our end. Here too, just just to let you know, the experts in studying these scriptures, they analyze, they don't know exactly how much money he gave to take care of the man but they estimate it's at least between two weeks worth of salary to two months of salary for a stranger. Now I'm going to ask you, you know, obviously, like, you know, a lot of us are working, maybe some of us at this moment are not, but would you give two weeks of your salary, a month of your salary, two months of your salary for a complete stranger for the sake of rejecting racism and showing love the way that God wants us to love? Because something you need to realize, this is a story Jesus highlighted to address racism. It requires sacrifice from each of us. And the fifth statement is this. Jesus said, go and do likewise. He didn't say, go, I recommend for you to do likewise. He didn't say, go, I suggest this is actually a good thing you should consider and do likewise. Go, he didn't say, go and think about it when you get home. And for some reason, if you think it's convenient and it's good for you and it fits in your schedule and it doesn't cause enough um, um, like damage, you could say, to the things that you do, you know what I mean? Like, do, then do it. He didn't say that. He said, go and do likewise. It's a command, command. Remember, delayed obedience is disobedience. And each of us, we need to obey God. And starts today. It starts right now. Right now. As we continue the discussion, I told you that this is a very different um Sunday. We actually have four panelists, um, guests that we're gonna ask them a couple questions that we want you to hear. You all could come forward now at this point. We have Derek White. We have Angie Hernandez, Raul Hernandez, and Kirk Nelson. So each of them, they're members of our church. And how I said today is about listening to the heart of our church of those that are affected. So here we're going to go over a couple of questions. Um, So guys, you can come right up. We're we're social distancing. We put the chairs far away from each other. So just in case, I don't know how it looks in the camera, but trust me, we're at least six feet away from each other. And we all have our separate microphones too. So thank you again for being here uh, with us, each of you. And I have a couple key questions and you could share from your heart so that everyone back home is able to hear um, from each of you. And I, I want to say everyone here, they're leaders in our church. And first, I want to say I, I love you personally. I love you guys. I consider you family. And, and I would do anything for you guys, too. And I thank you for taking the time to be here. Thank
5: you for doing this because I know this takes a lot mm-hmm. for everyone to get on the same page and to talk about or begin a dialogue of tough things. Cause this is, like you said, it's the beginning of
0: a dialogue. Definitely. So Definitely thank not. you for that. Thank you so much. So the first question is this, uh, how did viewing the death of George Floyd impact you personally?
6: Um, I can start. I think that viewing that, the first feeling that I felt was deep sadness. And immediately after that was anger. And I felt angry because I felt tired of seeing this so often. I feel that it becomes a normal to the black community to seeing black people be killed by police. And it shouldn't be normal. Um, And I remember me and my wife getting emotional about it. But also we had to make sure that we were careful with that angry part because angry can easily transform to hate Mm -hmm. um and so i had to kind of in that moment tell the lord like god you need to help me deal with this right now because i'm enraged that this is happening to somebody who looks just like me Mm -hmm. you know and then the response from people who love me like my mom came to me crying and she was like man like I just saw this on the news and I've been covering you with the blood of Jesus because I'm afraid for you.
7: Mm.
6: And to see that and hear that is something that you as a black person are like, man, why does life have to be this way when I'm just a person Mm. trying to live? Like I'm just trying to do things like anyone else would. Mm. Um, And so those were my first emotions when when I saw that.
0: Um, PH, could you move the podium? I'm sorry, it could be in the way. I guess I'll go. Yeah, is it on? I don't, I don't believe so. Yeah, it, it is on, then. yeah. Just keep it close. Okay.
8: Um, so for me, the sadness, I think, was the first emotion. Uh, you know, sometimes I'm kind of an emotional person anyway, so that that hit me and hit me hard. Um, then as as I watched, I, I, you know, it was almost as if, I, I was running through what I would do if I was there. And I, I, I remember looking at the TV and, and saying, he can't breathe, take your knee off his neck. He can't breathe, stop, stop, take your knee off his neck. And um, I remember at one point just wishing I could jump in and the TV and just kind of pull him off. Um, and so those were probably the first emotions for me. And and then it just turned to a, a deep sadness and a hurt for the fact that we're still having these conversations at higher levels and really wanting to have them at those relational levels with the people that we interact with on a daily basis. And moving from those high-level conversations to really as pastor carlos so eloquently said in his message drilling down to those places in relationships and having those conversations with those people and making changes there to move forward
5: i mean just from a spiritual standpoint i remember looking at his face Mm. the the officer's face and um, the image affected me in a spiritual way Mm. um Aside from anger and everything else, his, he had almost a demonic countenance mm-hmm. about, about him. And, you know, one of the things I was sharing earlier is, if you look back, you know, as a child, um, one of my uncles gave my sister a book called The Black Book. And in the book, uh, there are pictures of the strange fruit, the lynchings. And in the pictures, you'll see people posing... Next to mm. a hanging body,
7: mm.
5: and his expression, that countenance, that demonic thing about whatever happened there, um, was very reminiscent of the pictures mm. in the in this black book. The same expressions, mm. and it just brought chills to me when I saw. It. I said, "That's the devil, you know. Mm. That's that's demonic right there." Yeah. Um, and 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 that I think was my first um maybe not my first but in the series of quick emotions and reactions Mm -hmm. that was one of the things that that really um came to mind thank you for sharing
9: for me i was overwhelmed with a lot of different emotions i would say the first one would have was grief Mm -hmm. i felt like i just lost a brother he looks like my husband he looks like my nephews he looks like people that I love and care about, he looks like me. Mm. So my next thought was, what if I was next? What Mm. if my husband was next? Mm. What are the people that are in my life, the people who love me, the Mm. people who call me family, consider me family, they're friends, we hang out. What are they doing to prevent me from being next, to Mm. prevent my husband from being next? What what were they doing to have prevented that from happening to Floyd? Mm. So that was my my next thing. How can I bring it home, right? This is what we're doing here at Christ Fellowship. How can I look in my circle of friends and family and people who say they love me and hold them to a higher standard?
6: And, and even just to add to what my wife said, being black is exhausting. That feeling of not like possibly being killed that day is something that is daunting every single day in our lives. Being pulled over for no reason, police lights behind us for simple traffic matters is something that is, a, it's, it's, a, it's a lot deeper to us um, than I think people think it is. Um, and, and just even other things, being in certain neighborhoods, going into certain stores, you just constantly need to be thinking about your skin color and how that may offend or scare somebody. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I think that that's something that I I, I feel needs to be known to, to folks who don't know that. Mm-hmm. Is that we need to wear this every day. Mm-hmm. And not only do we have to wear, we have to think about how we're wearing it, where we're wearing it, and how somebody's going to feel about us mm-hmm. being there. Um, and that's something just to add on to what she was saying.
0: No. Thank you for sharing. The next question actually we'll start with you Raul because I know I heard you speak on this in the past I think it's really powerful how does it make you feel when people say I don't see color um so when
6: people say I don't see color to me uh it can be offensive Mm -hmm. the reason being is because when you say you don't see color you're saying you don't see me I think to see color and respect color is something that's important in in society. We need to be able to say he's black, I respect his experiences, and I want to understand his perspective, as well as you would with anybody else and their race. But to say, oh, I don't see color, you're saying you don't get or see or understand my experience as a black man in America, which hasn't been an easy one. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I think that when we're talking about seeing and recognizing color, it needs to be a reverence to every color, every culture, and every experiences that they've had. Mm. And so that's my perspective on that.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Does anyone want to chime
5: in? And I think, I think the other piece to that is it also gives you an excuse not to, dis, to, to engage the reality of what's happening. So if you say, I don't see color, I don't want, you know, it's, mm. it's almost a wall. Mm. And, you you, you know, it's, it's simpler to just say, or easier to just say, I don't see it, mm. rather than have to engage it. Mm. And I think that's the piece that takes us to the next level, is engaging it, acknowledging it, engaging it, having those tough discussions, mm. and not walking away from it. Mm. You know, and then, and you may walk away now but you got to pick it back up again you say you know all all right maybe this is as far as we can go today Mm -hmm. but i'm committed to coming back to it Mm -hmm. and i think that's where we are right now we we know it's there Mm -hmm. we acknowledge it's there we we just might not be ready to deal with Mm -hmm. it but you can't keep kicking a can down the road Mm -hmm. you got to come back to that conversation Mm -hmm. and i think that's where we are as a people i think that's where we are as a body of christ Mm -hmm. you know It's easy to hide behind a cross. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's great. Mm. But on Monday, what are we going to do? Like, you know, kids are saying that's great in the four walls of the church. But when I go to school Monday, Mm. not everybody believes what I believe. Mm. And not everybody's going to treat me the way the brothers and sisters in church treat me. So, you know, as a church, we have to equip our people for that. But our, I think as a church, we also have to prepare our people mm. to keep having these conversations mm. and deal with Definitely. those things. So
8: I could just add one point as well. Um, I think when you say that you don't see color and I'm guilty of having said it, too, but, you know, reanalyzing it um, leading up to this point, you make it visual. Mm. And when you make it visual, it connects to your mind. By making it visual, you take out the fact that it can go to your heart. Mm -hmm. Where the change is ultimately gonna come from is the heart. So if I make it about something visual, just your skin color at that moment in time, and I don't see color, we get along very well. I respect you. It doesn't allow me to check my heart. Mm -hmm. It doesn't allow me to connect to my heart because I'm here visually. Mm -hmm. It's almost like someone who has a heart condition. Mm You do a die test. You see much more than you do if you don't do the die test.
7: Mm.
8: So it allows you to connect a little deeper. Mm. And I, I I agree with uh, Kirk as well about just preparing people for having these conversations. And and you know they need to be relational conversations. And it's okay that you don't get to an end at that time, or you don't get to an agreement, or reach your goal mm. in that one conversation because it's going to take more than one. Go in knowing that.
5: Mm. Hey, can I just can yeah. I just add one more thing? I think we also have to understand when people say that. Sometimes their intentions are good, Mm. and 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 that's you know because just like it's difficult for us, it's difficult for other people, Mm. and they don't always. I don't want to say that because then we part. I'm trying not to do silos (laughs) and and trenches. But when you're talking to someone about that, um, sometimes it's difficult for them to express what they truly feel. So I think one of the things we have to do is be patient and, and and not dissect every word maybe that's coming out, but maybe look at someone's heart or at least ask more questions because I, we can't get to a place where you say something wrong, I take offense, and I put yeah. my wall up, and then that Definitely. ends the discussion. So, you know, it's a dialogue. It's got to be two ways. We have to keep addressing it. And we can't get offended. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as as Christians, we have to lead that. We can, we we don't have room to be offended. Yeah. I mean, Jesus wasn't offended when they spit, killed mm-hmm. him, kicked him. Mm-hmm. His creation did that to him. So we don't have the right to be offended and to disengage. Yeah. At least with believers, we mm-hmm. can't. Right. You know, the world is different. You shake off the sand. Maybe you don't mm-hmm. do that immediately. But you got to keep trying. you cannot disengage from yeah. that. So. No, definitely. I you. And I,
9: oh, I was gonna going to add something to that. Um, I've heard I don't see color for the majority of mm. my life. I've heard that a lot from people, and I always think of it from a spiritual perspective, right? So God took the time to make beautiful water, beautiful mm. skies. Like, mm-hmm. he took the time to make these beautiful things. We go on vacations to see these things. We seek these things. So I always wonder, what does God hear when he sees that? Because mm. we're all beautifully and wonderfully made. He took the time to make us unique and beautiful. Each and every one of us has a beautiful color. He took the time to do that. It wasn't on coincidence. It wasn't because it just so happened. He took the time to do that. So when you say you don't see his beautiful creation, you don't see the time that he put in to do that. I just wonder what he hears when he hears
0: that. Wow. I'm like, that, there's been so much to chew on already, <laughs> but we're going to continue. Uh, I, I was uh, I was going to say too, um, you know, with everything that's been said, it's like, it's, it's recognizing it, uh, engaging, but how you said Angie, celebrating, celebrating the diversity. It's like, I know for myself, being born and raised in the city of Elizabeth, my best friends growing up were African-American, like Greg, the coach for, uh, I mean, the referee for the BBA. I could think of, and I never, like, in my life, like, I just celebrated the differences that we had. Like, you know, it's just, we didn't even think about it. You know, we were brothers. Um, but thank you so much. I mean, that was, you dropped the mic there a little bit. Don't drop the mic, though. Don't break it. Because, uh, you know, we're we're on a budget. <laughs> All right. <laughs> they all right. The next question: what are in-groups and out groups, and how can we purposely love those that are different from us? Want to take it? I'll take it. Whoever Thanks. wants.
5: You know, so like I was just saying yeah. before, we have to be careful about um, putting labels on people. Um and you know, that was what we were doing with McPherson. Um is you know, it's, when you become you, people, them, they, um, you've already separated yourself from mm-hmm. them, or they, or those people, and we have to just be careful because you, you, you. Def, we we tend to compartmentalize our lives and say, I'm I'm Democrat, I'm Republican, I'm Black, I'm White, um, I I follow this, I believe that, you know if you look at at christianity jesus was jewish he wasn't Mm -hmm. a christian he was Mm -hmm. jewish Mm -hmm. i mean Mm -hmm. so what happens is we label things Mm -hmm. because of how we feel about a certain thing Mm -hmm. i believe this therefore i'm gonna stay with what i have over here and as christians we don't have the ability to do that Mm -hmm. you know we we have to um like you said, love first, you know, mm. we, we're good at calling out mm. sin. Um, but maybe if we started calling out, not acting like Jesus mm. first, instead of calling out sin or where we're falling short of not acting like Jesus, mm. um, then maybe, you know, you don't have these in and out groups. Just We call them everything from entrenches or trenches, entrenched silos in and out, mm. you know, it's, there are none, yeah. at least for us. We don't have that option.
7: Yeah.
5: Um, and I think we have to start living that way. And I and I have to do that myself. You know, I have to check myself. You don't have the right to not express love yeah. or concern or empathy for anyone, yeah. really. Um, and 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 that's tough to do on a daily basis, but we have to do that. That's our job, that's what God died for. Yeah. You know, if he did it, we got to do it. That's what he said. Do this in remembrance of me. That's what he meant. Mm -hmm. You know, when he says, when he modeled for us the mocking, the spitting, Mm -hmm. he was modeling us for how we have to live. Mm -hmm. Um, It's sacrificially. Now, like I said, that doesn't mean you're an abused doormat or anything like that, but we have to lead with love first. Mm -hmm. And I think if you do that, you don't have as much... As the There's always going to be an in and out. Mm. You just have to go beyond that.
8: i also like to add, uh, I think us reflecting on what we've been forgiven of, mm. the shortcomings we've have, had. Christ loved us before we loved him.
7: Mm.
8: You know, and going back to that core principle, John 3.16, mm. that foundational principle, every once in a while just going back and visiting, maybe dig it up a little bit maybe talk to the Lord about it and say, hey, I know there's got to be more here because yes. it's such a foundational scripture. What is the more?
7: Mm-hmm.
8: How can I take that more? How can I take that nugget to someone that I need to have a conversation with? And I think with the in and out groups as well, what I envisioned were circles. Mm-hmm. So you have a circle over here and you have a circle over here. And then there's this gap in between the two circles. Mm-hmm. But you can connect those two circles if you put understanding in that center circle Mm -hmm. and close that gap in between. And so, again, we're talking a lot about the conversations that we need to have. And, you know, tough conversations sometimes is just tough because you haven't had them. The topic may be tough, but it might be tough just because you've never stepped up and had that conversation. Mm -hmm. And so we need to Fill that chasm and that separation with understanding and compassion.
7: Awesome.
6: Um, I think that it's important for us as believers to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. Mm. Um, I think that a lot of times we kind of fall back on comfort and we want to be in groups that make us feel comfortable. I think that we should constantly be challenging ourselves to hang out or be around people that we normally won't. Um, because I feel like that's something that Jesus would do. I feel like that person that you may feel like you're not vibing with that well, mm-hmm. maybe say, hey, you all want you want to go out for coffee one day? Mm-hmm. And, and not say why, but you want to because you want to understand them, mm-hmm. you know, or help them understand who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's something that's important and it's, you know, pivotal for growth is being uncomfortable with trying to get close to folks that you're not normally mm-hmm. close to. Um, And I think that it's really easy for you to be comfortable in church because you kind of grow up with certain people and you kind of are okay being with that Mm -hmm. group. But sometimes you got to step out a little bit and kind of engage people who you're not used to engaging. Um, And I feel like in my life personally, some of my most powerful moments was when I've made myself uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and spoke or prayed for somebody who I normally wouldn't. Mm -hmm. And I just saw the spirit kind of sit in that moment and move in that moment um, because I just said, I'm going to go out into the waters to the great unknown and, and let God lead me. And I think that that's something that we need to start being comfortable with.
0: And with what you said, just for all of us to know, I mean, Jesus was the expert. In stepping to the out-groups. I mean, he would go to the tax collectors, to the prostitutes, like everyone that no one really wanted to give the time or day, Jesus went the extra mile and we need to do so as well. I don't know. Yeah.
9: Um, there's in-groups, there's out-groups. I honestly think it'll always be that way. But at the end of the day, there's one kingdom that we're yeah. all going to. Yeah. We're all going to the same heaven. So to piggyback off of what you were saying, why not spend that time with those people mm-hmm. now? Mm-hmm. Um, when I look at our churches in America in general, I'm always shocked that the out-group people aren't mm-hmm. flooding our pews, our mm-hmm. rows. Like, how are those people not here? So that's something that we have to think about and hold ourselves to a higher standard within mm-hmm. the church, too. Mm-hmm. Those are the Definitely. people we're running after. Those are the people we want to spend time mm-hmm. with because that's who we're going to be spending time with in heaven. That's mm-hmm. the goal of what we're doing.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely, thank you so much, guys. Uh, Next question, Uh, how can you be racially offensive and not be a racist?
9: I think one of the easiest ways to be racially offensive and you may or may not be racist, I don't know what you have going on, but to not be willing or open to hear the experiences of the people that are struggling, regardless of the, what the conversation is. I think that's very offensive mm-hmm. to say that, hey, I hear you have a problem, but you know, I don't, I don't care, I don't wanna mm-hmm. hear it. Um, I think that's very offensive. I think that's one of the biggest things I'm seeing and experiencing right now, um, because we all have a story, regardless of what color you are, mm-hmm. regardless of where you're coming from, we all have a story, and I think every story is worth being heard. Mm-hmm
8: definitely i I was just going to say i think that that's a great point um and racially offensive may be a person actually trying to get to that point where they understand Mm. it's rough it's tough it takes work Mm. and they may be saying things that in their mind and in their culture doesn't mean the same thing as it lands on us Mm. and i think that's hugely important as we as we have conversations, and right now in the world, we text, we do all these things, and basically what we do is we just kind of throw out a statement, person throws out a statement, another person throws out a statement, throws out a statement, mm-hmm. and then we think we had a conversation, we get up and walk away and we've accomplished nothing.
7: Mm-hmm. Right.
8: But, and I think it was mentioned earlier here about clarifying, clarifying what someone says. So in that moment where you're racially offended, what did you mean by that? I don't understand what you meant. Let Give them the opportunity to explain, oh, well, I met this, mm-hmm. or I met that. And I'll, I'll give you, final, if you don't mind, a quick yeah. example. So a friend of mine, he's a very good friend of mine, known him a long time. And we were talking about this situation, and, and I've been having more and more conversations with the people that I have intimate relationships. I think that's a great place to start. And that makes the conversation difficult and easy mm. at the same time. And uh, he was saying that he, he went to uh, university. And one of his friends, his best friend, they, they were inseparable, was black. Mm-hmm. And they went to this frat party. Mm-hmm. And he was one of the few white people there. Mm-hmm. And he said, there were black people that came up to me and were like, yo, what are you doing here, bro? And then he said, there was some that said, I give you your props for being there. Mm-hmm. And he was like, so in a way, I kind of know how you feel. And I paused for a second and I said, you know what? You're right, in a way you do. But I said now look at it from the perspective of it's not just one party at a frat house that you can choose to leave whenever you want, mm. but it's everything that you do in your life. Mm. And he literally paused for a second and he goes, Man, he said, I never looked at it that way. Wow. But he, he had an understanding, an understanding. But he didn't have a knowledge, mm. and that's what we need to move from. And, and in Proverbs, it actually, I'm sorry, I don't mean to preach. No, no, go, go. I don't mean to preach, preach. I'm sorry. <laughs> in, in Proverbs, it actually says that with wisdom a house is established, with understanding it is built, but with knowledge it is filled with precious treasures. So we need to work that process and get the understanding and get the knowledge which is applicable, so that it takes the deep roots in our hearts. And then we can have the treasures of the kingdom and offer those to other people.
0: Mm, definitely. And something with what you said too about the conversations, and you mentioned it too, Kirk, earlier too. It's so important for each of us to take the posture of grace and forgiveness going into the conversation, just because it could get messy. Like, you know, unintentionally it could get messy, but if your posture is grace and mercy, and forgiveness, you know, there's a greater purpose of the conversation than having your opinions uh, validated or whatever. You don't mean anything like that. You, you know, that you want to the greater purpose that God has. Um, let me see now the next one. Uh, what are the action steps that need to be made to see the change we want to see?
6: I think definitely uh, Derek hit it in the head where he said start those conversations with people you already have intimate relationships with is a great place to start. Um, but even just in general, you know, you see somebody saying something that maybe isn't right. It should be OK for you to say, hey, let's talk for a second. or Hey, you got time to chat today and being. Merciful and graceful, but also being honest on how that feels to you. Mm. Um, And I think that that's a great place to start. I think for people also who are not black should be having these conversations in their homes Mm. with their families and with their friends Mm. who may not agree with it. Because I'm sure there's people now who are standing up for this movement who have peers in their neighborhoods who don't agree. Mm. Um, And it should be all right for you to have a conversation with someone and say, hey, Why don't you agree? Can I explain why I'm for this movement? Um, And just having that conversation, I think, can spark up change uh, in neighborhoods and in families. Mm. That's how
8: I feel. I would just add um, that, and I don't know that this is a step, but Raul just mentioned about having those conversations and other people having them in their households. Mm. Kirk mentioned earlier about equipping people to do that if we're not having the conversation and getting them to understand and giving them examples, like you said, about a story mm-hmm. or talking about in a, in a productive manner, then they can't go and articulate that to someone else. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the stone's been dropped in the lake already, right, mm-hmm. multiple times. There's a ripple effect. It's either gonna stop because we stop having conversations, we stop talking to one another, or it's gonna continue and it's gonna move to the shore and move the sand, and the infrastructure is going to change. There's only two ways it can go, but we have to have those pertinent conversations and that dialogue.
7: Definitely.
8: And, and I think I'll just finish with this, if I may, um, yeah. that it's important we don't take away from this. I'm going to go out, and I'm going to get my friends that I'm very close to that I know I can talk to and have these conversations with, and I'm just going to invite them all out, and then I'm going to drop this bomb on them. (laughs) We're not saying go out and just throw up on somebody about racism, okay? We're saying work towards it. I know for me with my children, if I have something serious to talk to them about, and I want to do it in a place where... We can have, you know, some fun afterwards or things like that. Mm. I don't only take them to those places when I want to have a serious conversation with mm. them. It's, that's like a setup. You don't mm. want to set anyone up. You want them to be able to understand that you're there for them and that the expectation is that they're there for you. And it's going to be a mutually beneficial thing. Mm.
5: Awesome. I mean, I think also, um, and that those are good points, uh, we have to, in terms of equipment, and again, I'm only speaking to the church because the way I see it is we can't make the changes we want to see unless we lead the way. Because mm. if you can't humble yourself in Jesus' name, and if you can't model Christ, you can't do this. Because mm. this is too hard to do. Yeah. You know, I can't lay down, if I'm in power, I can't lay down power mm. unless I'm willing to humble myself. Mm. And we can't get to a certain point, unless you have Jesus. So it has to start with the believers Mm -hmm. to do do it in their homes, do it in this church, and then do it in your spheres of influence, and then you can go beyond that. Mm -hmm. But it can't be done, otherwise, we're 400 years in, Mm -hmm. it hasn't been done. Mm -hmm. So it's a hard, hard thing to do. But this is an opportunity for the church to be the church. Mm And like you said, Raul, we gotta get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm. And I think that's a thing because we, we were talking or listening to uh, Pastor Marsha Mansoor yesterday and she was saying the other same exact thing. Mm. We gotta start being, un, being comfortable about being uncomfortable. Mm. And we have, to, uh, we have to teach our people to model Christ. We have to teach our people, this is what Christ was doing He wasn't telling you something. He was showing you something. When he said, I break my body, he wasn't saying, when you have dinner, think about this. He's saying, look at what I'm doing. And I'm asking you to do the same thing. And what it is, is if we don't all do it as Christians, it can't be done. Because if you do it and the other believers don't do it then you're a sucker Mm. essentially so it has to be done in our house first i'm getting a little (laughs) more it has to be done in our house first and Mm. thank god you know fortunately um you pastor gary before we've created that here Mm. i i i i really feel i have concern for churches who don't look like ours Mm because we can do that here. We can have those conversations here because we have such a diversity here. Yeah. And like Lynn said, it's time for diversity to turn into inclusion
7: yeah. in that yeah. sense.
5: And I think for churches that don't have that diversity, I think you gotta, you gotta work that first. Yeah. You gotta work that first because that's what God is calling us to do. He's yeah. calling us to model Christ. Yeah. We don't need no more seminar. We only read what Jesus did, look at what Jesus did Mm. and do that. Mm. And then you, you know, then we have a chance of, of Mm. doing that, but it's got to, it's got to happen in our own house. Mm.
6: And even if I can add, when you read the scriptures, you see that like Jesus loved furiously. Mm. And even the story of him sitting with the Samaritan woman, Mm. like, can you imagine the people that were around him and how that might've been uncomfortable Mm. But he went and did it anyways. And he sat right next to her. And that was just something that wasn't acceptable at that time. And he didn't come with judgment. He didn't come with assumptions. He came with grace and mercy. Sat next to this woman. Despite the odds. Despite probably the chatter around him. Like, what's he doing going to this lady over here? Are you kidding me? Despite all of that, he went and sat next to her. And it's one of the most powerful stories that we read to this day. And imagine how many more powerful and life changing stories we can create when we start to love furiously Mm. and we start to get comfortable with the uncomfortable and sitting with people that we normally won't sit with and saying, hey, I love you, man. Let's let's talk about this. Let's let's hang out. Let's grow together. I want to be your brother. Let's grow in a friendship and understanding them on that level. And I think that that's something that's powerful when I read the scriptures, furious love.
9: And I truly believe that love is what's going to heal mm. our country. Mm. I really, really do. God is love. Mm. Like, it's the most powerful force that we have in this world. It's the most powerful force that we can use as people. And I think we have to take a step back and look at, reevaluate what love is. Mm. Love is not just sitting next to the person in church, high-fiving, saying good morning, good morning. But it's when they're down, when they're mm. hurting, when you have to sweat and cry with them, we mm. have to reimagine what love means. It's mm. not a cute, fancy word that we can throw around. Love is raw. Love is hard. Love is uncomfortable. Mm. Love takes a lot of energy, and that's what it means when you love somebody, when you mm. want to be there for them. It's, it's not just a simple thing you just say to people. You really have to mean that.
0: Mm. Awesome. Awesome. So as we wrap up, um, if you had one minute to share, and obviously here we're talking to the church family of CF, but imagine you could envision yourself talking to the entire world. I could tell you for one minute, the entire world, every, everyone is going to be able to hear your words. What would you say?
6: Um, I think I would say just that, the point I just made, mm. love furiously. Mm. I think that if if that was a message I can communicate to the world and a few people in a few countries started to take steps towards loving, it'll have a major impact on society as we know it. Um, and so it would be that, love, love furiously.
9: I would say, listen and love. If you think about what we're doing, we wanna model God in every way, and that's what he does. He listens to our cries, he listens to our pain, And he continues to love us. He continues to pick us up. And I would challenge everyone to do just that. Listen. Mm -hmm. And based off what you hear, love. Whether you like what you heard. Whether you don't like what Mm -hmm. you heard. How many things do we tell God where he's probably real ticked off with Mm -hmm. us. But he still loves us. You have to find a way to love even after you listen.
7: Awesome.
5: And same thing. Love. Love others like you love yourself. You know, God says to love him and love others like yourself. If you truly love others like yourself, we can, we can, we can do a lot. We can change, we can change the world. So, so that's it. That's all.
8: Yeah, I would, I would echo everything that's been said, and I would also just add serve because you can love now and again, and you can love from a distance, but when you get your hands dirty... And as Lynn said, she said, you get your hand wrapped around that other person's hand, and I'm I'm paraphrasing, and she said, you walk with them through the Mm -hmm. tough times. You know, and the Bible talks about when a person asks for your cloak, you give them, you know, more. They ask for you to walk with them, you walk with them further. So I would say love, listen, and serve Mm -hmm. so that you put skin in the game and you're Jesus with skin
0: on. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing Everyone watching through the live stream, why don't we thank them for sharing. You can stay, stay seated for right now. I, I have a couple more things to share, uh, but I just wanted to make sure everyone watching just to uh, thank them for their courage, just to be able to share and to be part of this panel. Something I wanna to share to all of you and everyone watching, just the commitment that Christ Fellowship has for this journey. Uh, everything that we're doing now, it's not a one Sunday event. I don't want for anyone to think that we're just gathered here just to highlight it for one Sunday and then it ends here. This is really just the, well, it's the journey we've been on. Um, for those of you that remember in February, we did an entire series on racism. Um, so we did this before and how Kirk highlighted too, our church has always had a history of celebrating the differences. And that's why God's really blessed us with so much diversity in our church. But at the same time, we have to make sure we're purposeful with the inclusion. There's a couple of things I wanna highlight. Number one, uh, we're gonna start doing uh, round tables where we could talk more. Maybe you, right now you're watching, you're like, man, I wish that the leadership would be able to hear my story. Um, and so you'll have the opportunity everyone will have the opportunity for the leadership to hear your story uh right now how we're still in the middle of the pandemic it'll be like a zoom round table for now but eventually we'll we'll be uh you know in person doing a, a round table but my main thing is for all of us to get together and the invitation is there for every single person uh, that would want to share their story their pain their experiences to myself as a senior pastor, uh, to the elders, to the pastors of the church. We want to hear everything that's happening, but we also want to stand side by side with you and lift you up from the side of the road if you feel like you're still laying down. The second thing I want to share is that we will be starting a social justice ministry, a ministry dedicated on social justice that the elders are gonna oversee and lead. Um, But this is gonna be a vehicle for those within the church uh, that love to discuss, engage, Uh, recognize, of course, and take action steps towards bringing social justice on different issues. Of of course, right now we're highlighting a major one right now, uh, but this ministry will be with that. So if that's something that... It's on your heart and you know that you would love to be a part of it. That's something we will be extending to the church. We're also, and we've done in the past many times, but we're going to even be more purposeful to bring training um, for not only Well, series within our church so that our entire church body would know, but specific training for all of the volunteers, all the leadership at all the levels, so that we could grow in our effectiveness to build bridges uh, with people that are different from us and to be able to reach others just to honor God and be able to love others as well. Um, number four, we're going to, I know we did the series in February on the third option is the book from Pastor Miles McPherson, Hope for a Racially Divided Nation. We're going to do a book study on that book in the month of July and August. Um, so if you're watching this and you want to be part of that book study, and I encourage all of you, all of you to be a part of it um i encourage you now order from amazon now because you know sometimes their amazon prime is a little slow right now a little slow so order it now so you can have the book and we'll make sure that we post it on our facebook page and on our website so you can know exactly the book because we're going to do a book study on it um once a week discussing chapters at a time so we invite the entire church to be a part of that and lastly um Our heart is not just what's happening within Christ Fellowship. Um, Like when it comes to helping bridge a gap, we're also purposeful to reaching out to other churches. Many of you know, we have the Shine Network where we stand side by side with about 30 churches throughout the city of Elizabeth. And I reached out to the African-American specific African-American churches and the pastors too for them to for us to have a meeting that we're going to have as pastors where we could listen To the other churches, what's on their heart, and that the specific African American churches that are here, they could speak into the Spanish churches, our church, all the churches, so that we could hear what's on the heart of African American pastors in the city of Elizabeth. Because we're in this together. We're purposeful in bridging the gap. And, you know, we have so much great relationship, uh, like Pastor Warmly, you know, Pastor Britt, uh, Pastor Grayson. I could go on and on. there's so many pastors that I absolutely love, and our goal and purpose is just to heal. Uh, this, even the city of Elizabeth, the city of Elizabeth has history, a spirit of racism in this city, and we're going to break that spirit of racism and it's gonna start here in our churches, it's gonna start among all the churches in the city of Elizabeth and let it be a chain reaction rippling throughout the entire country to bring healing. So now as we close the service, I know we went a little longer than what we usually did but that's totally uh, awesome because we we told everyone too, we're gonna go as long as we have to go. I'm gonna call forward Elliot Johnson and something I told him is to close Um, We're going to ask everyone, wherever you are, to the best of your ability, if you could just kneel on both knees on the ground to humble yourself before God. And Elliot is going to pray for God's blessing and healing upon our city, upon the nation here um, in our country.
10: God Almighty, Lord of all, creator of all, sustainer of all, holy is your name, powerful you are, great is your majesty, wonderful you are, you're everlasting, you're glorious, you're wonderful, you're amazing, you're strong in power, and you're mighty to save God, and God, we come to you on our knees because we need you. We need you to teach us, Lord God. We need you to show us, Lord God. We need you to convict us, Lord God. We need you to help us, Lord God. We need you to heal us, Lord God. We need you to bring us up, Lord God, as we are on our knees, Lord God. We need you to make the crooked straight, Lord God. We need your justice to flow in this place, Lord God, like never before, God. God, we know that the work is not done, that your mission goes on, Lord God, and that there is a purpose for everyone to participate in to bring your glory here, Lord, that all flesh... We'll see your glory, Lord, that all flesh will know you, Lord God. And as we come to know you, we know ourselves, Lord God. So, God, may you put to death in us the hate, Lord God. May you put to death in us the hate that has has clouded our minds, Lord God, that has influenced our spirit, that has taken over our speech, Lord God. May you just, God, may you just clean us up from the inside out, Lord God from the inside out, Lord God, because we know that with justice comes righteousness, Lord God, and we want to be in right standing with you, Lord God. We want our land to be in right standing with you, Lord God. Lord, you've said to us so many times, and it's been shared so many times, Lord, that if we just humble ourselves and pray, Lord God, you would heal our land, but also that we need to turn from our wicked ways, Lord God. Turn from our wicked ways. God, help those, Lord God, who have racism and hate in them that's been ingrained in them from generations, Lord God. Help them to know lord god that the one they are really fighting against the one they are really hurting the one they are really persecuting is you god is you god is you god because you don't stand for that lord may those who want to do ill lord god may those who want to hurt may they be brought to justice lord god and may lord god their hearts be open to be healed lord god to those people lord god who cause injustice to cause hurt may they lord god be convicted strongly by you lord god Just like how Paul the Apostle thought he was doing the right thing, Lord God, and you knocked him off his horse, Lord God, and you had to bring him up again. Lord God, we have a ministry of reconciliation, Lord God, that you have given us because you have reconciled us with you through your power on the cross, Lord. God, may you just continue, Lord God, to draw us closer to you, Lord God. That as as we said, even in this panel, Lord God, that you may just bring unity, Lord God, in our diversity, Lord God. May you bring just unity in who we are, Lord God. May all the colors come together, Lord God, because we are fearfully and wonderfully made by you, Lord. God, may we all, when we all just extend our hand, Lord God extend our hand, Lord God, just as you extended your scarred hand to us, Lord, and we have put our hand in your hand, may we stretch out our hand to our neighbor, Lord God, because as you have commanded, we are to love our neighbor as ourselves, Lord God. That is the evidence that we love you, Lord God. May our love be sincere, Lord God. May our our patience, Lord God, be increased so that as we have these conversations, we come through with grace and patience, knowing that we want to make this person see your glory, Lord God. And as you have said, as you have said in your word, Lord God, that Christ in us is the hope of that glory, Lord. God, may we just, may this, this church, Lord God, and all the churches united be filled with, with love and be a house of love, Lord God. A house of, of fellowship, Lord God. And in Jesus' name, Lord God, in Jesus' name, Lord God, may the land be blessed because we have turned to you. May all of us be blessed and may our children be blessed, Lord God, that may they grow up in a land of justice, of righteousness, of fairness, of peace. In your name, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
0: Well, I just want to thank everyone that's watching and through the live stream once again. And just in case this message was a blessing to you and you know it would be a blessing to your friends and family, I encourage you to share it. God bless you, and we'll see each other soon. Take care.